Well, this morning we're blessed to have uh, Greg Mark. Pastor Greg Mark, who is a graduate of Multnomah Biblical Seminary. We want to turn your attention to the scripture text that he will be preaching from this morning in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. He writes here, being that Christ is the theme of ministry, and he begins here in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. They might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Again, we're blessed this morning to have uh, Pastor Greg Mark, who was serving at uh, Chinese Baptist Church as a children's pastor, as a graduate of Multnomah Biblical Seminary, to preach the Word of God this morning. I want to encourage you, let's give him a warm welcome as he comes forward. It's always uh, fun to <coughs> come to Living Hope Bible Church, and I know, uh, I know a lot of people and have Bible study with, with Tim, and, and, and I see George and, and, and David and a lot of you guys a lot, and so it's, it's my pleasure to be here with you. About uh, a month, two months ago, I was having dinner with a missionary friend, and he's actually a missionary to Japan. And I was wondering how the ministry was going in Japan and was really curious to see if God was leading more people to Christ in that nation. And so my missionary friend said that, you know, the progress of the gospel is still kind of slow. You know, after decades of missionaries going there, you know, still the response to, you know, the gospel message has been, uh, you know, relatively kind of small. And so he told me that the percentage of Japanese or Christians is just 1%. And interesting enough, um, about 15 years ago, it was still 1%. I had a a famous Japanese evangelist stay at my house, and he did some evangelism in this area. And so I asked him the same question, you know, how's the the work of evangelism going in Japan? And he said, the response is kind of small, and the the, uh, number of Christians, the percentage is still just 1%. And so, you know, sadly, you know, the, the progress in that country is, is still uh, fairly minimal. And so according to my missionary friend, uh, Japanese society seems really entrapped in a lifestyle that sets itself apart from God. There are many people who are distracted and just making a good living and then um, living a comfortable life. 
And so if you're not working hard, and the Japanese do work hard, you're studying hard. <laughs> so you're studying hard to get into a good school in order to get a good job, in order to earn a good living, in order to live a comfortable life. And so people are really kind of trapped in this kind of vicious cycle of, uh, of just being uh, working for this earth and living for this world. And so Buddhist culture has something to do with that as well. But people have sort of more of a materialistic, sort of just uh, live for this age type mentality. So it's been frustrating for Japanese missionaries. It's been frustrating for Japanese evangelists. It's also been very heart-wrenching for them as well because they see the effects of a society living apart from God. And so seemingly um, various forms of immorality are increasing. Uh, Families seem more dysfunctional, more isolated from one another. Uh, People have more loneliness in life. And there are a lot of problems that go along with uh, living a life that is apart from Jesus Christ. And so in times like this, when you've done your very best, how can a missionary or an evangelist uh, be encouraged when discouragement can very easily be set in? How can a missionary uh, keep from being discouraged? How can an evangelist uh, keep serving God faithfully? How can any Christian uh, be a faithful minister of the gospel? And so 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6 gives us four insights on how to be a successful or faithful minister of the gospel. A faithful minister is to stay positive. A faithful minister keeps the message clear. A faithful minister realizes that there are real spiritual limitations to evangelism. And a faithful minister minimizes himself while maximizing Jesus Christ. So let's turn to our text and we'll see these four insights in a little bit more detail. And hopefully flesh them out a little bit so that we can be faithful ministers of the gospel. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 1, gives us our first insight there. And so here's a letter that the Apostle Paul has, has written to the Corinthians. And so Corinth is a city in modern day Greece, in southern Greece. And Paul actually started this church. And so on his, one of his missionary journeys, he went to this church, or went to this city, and started a church by God's grace. He ministered there for about a year and a half, then he left, then he came back, then he left again, and he's preparing to come back to visit these people again. And so Paul wrote his first epistle, 1 Corinthians, to address problems within the church. And so the Corinthians come from a fairly rough background, uh, known for their immorality, known for uh, just licentious living. And so they had a lot of problems in that church, and a lot of their problems stem from their own uh, worldview and own perspective. And so 1 Corinthians addresses those problems that started in the church. Uh, 2 Corinthians addresses problems in the church, but they don't come from the people in the church. They come from people from outside the church. And these people are false apostles. And false teachers. And so here the church is under attack, not because of the problems and, and necessarily the personal sins of people in the church, but because of false theology and false doctrines entered the church through teachers and through false apostles. And so first, Second Corinthians really uh, defends Paul's apostleship and his ministry and his character in order to defend the gospel, the true gospel message. And so the first seven chapters, Paul uh, sort of defends his uh, relationship to the Corinthians. Uh, he defends his ministry there. Uh, chapters 8 and 9, Paul addresses the Corinthians' reluctance to give money to poor Christians in Jerusalem. 
And so the, perhaps an underlying uh, suspicion of Paul is that he's using that money for himself. And so Paul addresses that in chapters 8 and 9. In the last uh, four chapters, 10 to 13, Paul actually confronts these false apostles head on. And here he'll defend his, his ministry, he'll just defend his authority, uh, not for his own sake, but for the sake of, of God's word, the gospel message. So it's within this context of defending himself that from the apostles, false apostles that Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, this is the NIV translation, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And so despite all the criticism, Paul is not going to be discouraged in his ministry. And so Paul says, refers to himself as we. Okay? And so we is just sort of a more subtle a kinder way of saying I. Instead of I, 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 he says we. And so he's going to defend himself a little bit uh, against these charges and against the difficulties that he faces. And so, and so instead of uh, Paul backing down from these uh, false teachers and, and being discouraged in ministry, he does not lose heart. He doesn't become discouraged. He's going to be persevering. He's going to be bold in, in the uh, ministry of the word. Uh, why? For what reason? Because of God's mercy uh, that he has this ministry. And so Paul really values God's kindness to him and God's uh, withholding his justice from Paul. And so Paul really sees himself as the worst of all sinners. He's the least of all apostles. And he even calls himself the least of all Christians. And so here Paul values God's mercy so much that he's willing to put up with a lot of conflict and a lot of uh, people doubting him and criticizing him and maligning his ministry. And it's because of God's mercy. And so Paul is just glad to be in the game. He thinks that he's the worst of all sinners. He's saying, I'm just glad to be here. And this motivates me to persevere in ministry. And so Paul says in Romans 12:1, he urges the Roman uh, Christians to, in view of God's mercy to offer their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is their spiritual form of worship. And so because God has been merciful, we are to be uh, grateful and to live lives that please Him. And this motivates Paul, and this should motivate Christians as well, that we need to think about, in order to be a faithful minister of the gospel, we think about all the things that God has done for us. He's withheld His judgment. He has withheld his justice, and he has uh, given us kindness that we don't deserve. And so when times get tough, and it was difficult to minister, and it was unpopular to be you know, uh, an evangelist, then, then Paul has reflected upon God's mercy to him for this ministry. And so he appreciates that very much, and so should we. And this helps us to stay positive in, in the ministry of the gospel. Instead of becoming discouraged and defeated and, and giving up and, and resigning ourselves to, you know, I, I won't do this any longer. We think about what God has done for us and then we can move forward to do what he wants us to do. And so it's not being easy. It's not easy to be criticized, to be a Christian. You know, society is, is uh, I think, increasingly hostile to Christianity, to anyone who shares their, their faith. Um, openly. And so sometimes people see evangelism as invasive. Sometimes they see it as disrespectful of their own personal beliefs. It's uh, perhaps arrogant. You Christians, you think you have the one way to God. It's arrogant. And sometimes people see 
uh, evangelism as even unlawful. You know, it's not your right to share the message of Christ to us in, you know, in particular situations. And so we are under attack, too. We are criticized for being evangelists as well. Not only Paul in the first century, but our message is attacked. And our, our ministry is criticized. But we ought to remember God's mercy to us. You know, God has been uh, undeservedly kind. Uh, his, his grace to us is without merit. We haven't done anything to earn his favor. We stand in grace. We stand in, in, in unending blessing, blessing after blessing for eternity. And so this is the type of mercy that, that, that keeps us positive and keeps us serving him. We remember his mercy and then we live for him. He has also commissioned us to proclaim his gospel. And Romans 10, 13 through 15 gives us, uh, gives us a little um, insight into the, the importance of each Christian to proclaim Jesus Christ. Well, Romans 10, 13 through 15 reads this way. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a good thing. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so, so Jesus gives us this good news so that we can pass it on to other people. Evangelism is a very honorable ministry. It's a very honorable service to other people. You know, God has been merciful to us, and he entrusts the responsibility to give people the message of mercy to other people. And it's a beautiful ministry. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring news, good news. So we need to be willing to evangelize our neighbors and the people at work and, the, and our friends and our family, and the people we just run into on an everyday basis. We need to be willing, because God has been merciful to us. So we can't cave into the pressure to be quiet, to be silent, but we think about God's mercy, and we stay positive. Hey, we're just fortunate to be here. We're just fortunate to be under God's grace, and to have blessing after blessing. And this encourages us to persevere in ministry. You know, my mom and I used to uh, shop at an Asian uh, grocery store on Sundays. We'd go to church, and, and down the street would be this Asian grocery store. And so there's a lot of uh, uh, cheap vegetables and inexpensive meat. And it's kind of like going to China. You think, boy, I don't have to go to China. You know, it's just sort of like that type of atmosphere. And so anyway, my mom goes to the shop, and she likes to... Um, you know, pick the, the best fruits and sort through all the different, you know, vegetables and, and get really a good buy and a good deal. And so it takes a considerable amount of time. And so I'm just waiting there for her to get done. And so I, I think to myself, well, I'm going to do something productive. I'll stand outside and walk around in the parking lot and read my Bible. And that's a productive thing to do. But as I, I'm thinking of that thought, I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's going to kind of look a little bit odd. <laughs> I mean, people, are, people think that I'm probably weird, you know. And so inside, I feel a lot of pressure to, believe, to be politically correct, you know, to, to not read my Bible while my mom is, is shopping. 
And so I, I think to myself, hey, you know, there's no law against that. I'm not bothering anybody. You know, I'm not, I'm not uh, interfering with anybody's, you know, shopping or anything. You know, I have the right to read my Bible in the parking lot of this, you know, grocery store, this Chinese Asian grocery store. And so one day I'm out there um, reading my Bible, and I, li- and I like to uh, pace when I read. It keeps me loose. And so I ended up, you know, pacing and walking to the, the front of the store, at the entryway to the store. And I stood there, and I was reading my Bible like this. <laughs> it's kind of strange, right? I'm, I'm about to nab you as you uh, enter the store. And so uh, Christian walked up, Christian from my church, and she said to me, you know, jokingly, she said, hey, you know, looks like you're getting ready to preach. <laughs> and I, I looked back at her and I said, half jokingly, I'm just waiting for the crowd to get a little larger. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm willing. You know, if somebody wanted to ask me a question about what I'm reading or what I'm doing, I'd be happy to share with them the saving message of Jesus Christ and, and this book that I'm reading, what I'm getting out of. I'd be very happy to do that. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be shy about that. You know, I was asking uh, Rich Nakamura, one of your missionaries to Japan, about how he does evangelism. I said, "What's your secret, Rich?" I, said, I want to know how you do evangelism in Japan. I said, is it, "Is it through English Corner? Is it through these places where people meet to practice conversational English?" He said, "No, nah, not really." I, I get some contacts that way, but most of my contacts are just being friendly with other people. Is it just getting to know people? When he goes to the store, he'll greet the store owner and kind of get to know them as a person. So every time he goes to the grocery store, he just say hi and, and, and chit-chat around. He said, that's the main way I get uh, my contacts for evangelism, is just being nice, just being available, just being prayerful as, as I meet people in everyday life. And so you don't have to be a street preacher. You don't have to stand in front of an Asian grocery store with your Bible and uh, wait for somebody to contact you. You just be nice to people and just be friendly. And you'll get all sorts of contacts. And I've talked to all sorts of people. Uh, One time I was getting a ride to the uh, airport. No, not not to the... um, I was getting a ride for Shuttle Express to the, um, the Toyota dealership. You know, the guy picks me up. Okay, my car is dropped off at the dealership. Well, anyway, I had to get two, two um, rides with him. The first time I got the ride with him, you know, I was thinking, man, should I evangelize, evangelize this guy? You know, I said, nah. You know, I began thinking about it. So the second time he picked me up when my car was done, you know, I started getting in conversation with him. And, and sure enough, God opened up a way. I was able to share the gospel with him. And he was happy to. Because he's a Christian, but he doesn't go to church. He said he was a Christian. And so just kind of affirm to him what the, what the message is about, what the Christian life is about. So you don't have to be a street preacher. Just be open and available and prayerful about what you do. And you can talk to all kinds of people. You know, society tells us to be silent, to be politically correct. The apostles had a response to, be, to being told silent. And they said that we must obey God rather than men. And so we're not to lose heart. We just stay positive. We're encouraged because we're, we, we, be, we uh, receive God's mercy. You know, we're happy just to be in the kingdom. 
And so whatever else happens, God has given us the responsibility. Then we're, we're happy to be there. So stay positive, be persistent, and continue to remember God's mercy. Okay, verse 2 gives us a second insight into being a faithful minister of the gospel. And that insight is to keep the message clear. Uh, verse 2 reads this way. Uh, rather, rather than losing heart, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And so here the emphasis really is on keeping the message clear. And the false apostles have evidently accused Paul of secret and shameful ways. The hidden, hidden ways which are secret, are, are kept in secret. Or the, the, the uh, hidden ways that are, that are shameful according to NASB uh, translation. And so they've accused him of quite a few shameful and, and secret things. Uh, chapter 1, he's changed his travel plans, Paul has, and so they question his integrity. Uh, chapter 2, the uh, false teachers have insinuated that Paul has ulterior motives in speaking. He's just in it for the financial gain. Chapter 3, he's been accused of being self-promoting. Chapter 4, he's been accused of being manipulative and inaccurate in his preaching. Chapter 6, Paul is regarded as an imposter. Chapter 7, he's accused of wrongdoing and corrupting and exploiting the Corinthians. Chapter 10, Paul is found unimpressive in person and is really a nothing of a speaker. Chapter 11, Paul's gospel message needs updating. His speaking style also is unpolished. In chapter 12, Paul doesn't measure up to the super apostles, and he lacks proof that Christ is actually speaking through him. And so here Paul is saying, rather than, than, than doing these, these secret and shameful things, I have renounced them. I have denounced them. I disapprove of that type of behavior. Not that I ever did it, but those types of things that, that the, you false teachers do are despicable. And so Paul has soundly been accused by his critics. They attack his integrity. They try to usurp his authority in order to overturn his message. And that's really what is at stake here is the gospel message. Not only Paul's authority and his, his personal you know, character, slander against his character, but more importantly, the gospel message is at stake. In verse 2 it says that we have not used deception. I'm not a deceiver, Paul says. I'm not a manipulator. I'm not being tricky. I'm not being crafty in order to, to get a following. Uh, furthermore, uh, we, we don't distort the word of God. You accuse me of that. And in fact, you false teachers are doing that. But I'm not corrupting the word of God with error. I'm not falsifying it. I'm not adulterating the message of God. And so Paul did not add to the message of the gospel. Even though it may be advantageous, to embellish the gospel with things that, ideas that people want to hear and people, things that, people, that appeal to um, the natural man's uh, sense of wisdom. And so the gospel message does not appeal to everyone. And there's the temptation to try to accessorize it and to embellish it and make it better and more appealing, more popular than it actually is. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians one twenty three says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews 
and foolishness to Gentiles. And so Galatians 5.11 says that the, that the message of the cross is an offense against natural man's wisdom. And so what do you do? You're kind of stuck in a, between a rock and a hard place. You're commissioned by God to proclaim this message, yet that message is not popularly received. It's considered foolish. And so the gospel is, is, uh, doesn't make sense immediately to the non-Christian. And so the gospel uh, insults our pride. The gospel wounds our self-esteem. The gospel attacks our sense of worthiness before God and declares that our good works are useless to God. And so the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is also the most lovely message that you've ever heard. You know, it pays our debt. It satisfies God's justice. It relieves our guilt. The gospel cleanses our conscience. It reconciles us to a a forgiven and trusting and and good relationship with God. The gospel brings us peace. We, We have peace in life. And we have joy. And we have hope. We have a future. And we have blessing after blessing, unending blessing. And so although the gospel is at first an offense, it becomes the most lovely message that you've ever heard. And so we ought not to be ashamed of that message. It's going to alienate some people until God gives them grace to receive that message with uh, humility and joy and repentance and faith. And so the church ought not to be in the business of changing that message. You know, I've I had a chance to um, travel to quite a few churches and hear quite a few different salvation messages. Yeah. In California, we used to call it the felt needs message. And so the felt needs message is that um, whatever you feel your need is, uh, God can uh, answer that problem, and then you're saved. For instance, if, if you need money, and somehow you get money, you know, God did that, and so you're a Christian. Or if, you want, uh, if you're lonely, and, and God uh, somehow solved your loneliness, and then you just uh, receive God to be your friend, and then you're saved. And so there are various different ways that the message can be distorted and added to without getting to the crux of the message, that we need forgiveness, that we need righteousness, that we need peace with God because God is the God of justice and that we need mercy and that we need grace because only God can save us from our sins. And so we keep that message uh, pure and we keep that message true. Second uh, Timothy 4, 3 through 4 says, The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And so that's the nature of, of mankind, is wanting to listen to what, what makes sense to them, using human wisdom. And so the, the gospel message doesn't appeal to human wisdom. It's foolishness at first. It's offensive initially. And then it becomes the best message that we've ever heard. So we can't succumb to the pressure to distort the word of God. Paul did not. Instead, he, he presented the truth plainly. He made it clear. 
He manifested the truth in an open and clear way. It's direct and straightforward. It's simple. And so Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so Paul just centers in on the person of Christ and the death of Christ, the work of His atonement. It's not with eloquence that people become saved. It's not because we appeal to people's uh, common sense, either uh, superior human wisdom. It is the message itself that God uses to save people from their sins. And for, so for Paul, he keeps that message clear, and he's very uh, uh, concise and, and distinct. He centers in on the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And so he carries on his preaching in, in, few, in full view of God. He commends himself to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And so he's not going to tamper with the message. Other people's consciences will give witness to what he's doing. And also God sees everything he does does as well. So we must keep the message clear as well. Okay, thirdly, the third insight that we have into becoming a faithful minister of the gospel is found in verses 3 and 4. And that's to realize that we have spiritual limitations when we present the message of Christ. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 reads this way. And even if our gospel is veiled, is veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so there are serious spiritual limitations when we present the message of salvation. And these uh, limitations, we need to understand them in order to be uh, faithful, in order to be uh, a faithful evangelist. And so Paul is saying, and even if our gospel is veiled, and in in the Greek grammar, this condition is assumed to be true. And even if our gospel is veiled, and it is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, to those who are perishing, to those who are coming to ruin. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see that light. They don't have a proper understanding of who Jesus is, that he is the image of God. Okay, so can a non-Christian understand the gospel message intellectually? Yeah, they can. If we give a non-Christian the facts of the message of salvation, they can take a multiple choice test and get the answers right. They can write an essay exam and get the, get the right uh, expression of, of what God's message is in the Bible. But, but the non-Christian, without God's grace, cannot apply that message to themselves. And so it's foolishness to them, and they're blinded to the message, but they can under, perceive the message intellectually, and yet their will is not turned towards God so that they can repent from their sins and place their faith in God. And so that's part of the blindness that that Satan brings in this world and in our flesh as well, our natural disposition as well, is blinded to the gospel. You know, I was taking an evangelism class at church a number of years back, and so one of my assignments was to share the gospel with three different people. So this is my homework assignment. I memorize the different scriptures about the message of salvation. Then I'm supposed to practice with other people. And so I had a co-worker. <laughs> and I just said to him, I said, 
I said, I'm taking this class at church. Uh, you want to help me with my homework? <laughs> and he said, sure. I said, yeah, this class is about uh, the Christian faith, and I'm so supposed to um, talk about the Christian faith with, with other people. Is that okay with you? And he said, sure. He said, I'm willing to do that. It was after work, you know, closing time was over, and so we're not infringing upon our boss's time or anything. And so I gave him the whole gospel. I went through all the scriptures. I went through the, gave him the full course meal. He, he listened very patiently. And he listened very carefully. And, and then I asked him after I was done, I said, uh, what do you think? And he said to me, it's true. And I said, that's wonderful. I said, do you want to become a Christian? And he said to me, no. I said, I thought you said it was true. He said, I did. I said, why don't you want to become a Christian? He says, he says, because I want to live my own life. I want to have fun, do what I want to do. And then when I'm on my deathbed, when I'm really old, right before I breathe my last breath, then I'll profess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so that, that's the mind of the uh, unbeliever, of the perishing. Understands the gospel intellectually and even can believe that the message is true and yet fails to apply the message to themselves without God's grace. And so we, we are in this situation and it's a terrible situation to be in, but we need to understand that there are spiritual limitations. We can't be frustrated. We can't uh, give up when things don't go well. We can't be silent when people want us to be quiet. We just need to go about our business and think about God's mercy. To be happy to be in the kingdom. Be happy to be privileged to minister God's word to other people. And so the God of this age, that Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see that light. So that they cannot understand that, that Christ, the glory of Christ, that he is the image of God. You know, I used to get my gas in Bellevue uh, Friday nights. So there's this Arco station in Bellevue where, where the cheapest price that I could find. <laughs> and so every Friday night, about the same time, I went to go get my gas at this Arco station. And so there's this guy. He looks like he's from the Middle East working there. Maybe Pakistan, India, something like that. So he's new to this country. He's, he's, a, he's an immigrant. I have compassion for him. Because, because he is an immigrant. And I also have compassion for him because probably he's not a Christian. So I go to this Arco station week after week. And as I'm pumping my gas, I'm always praying for him. I pray for him to be uh, saved. I'm praying that I also have an opportunity to share Christ with him. Because I see him every week. And so when I go in to pay my money, and I, talk, I get to know him a little bit as a person. Kind of get him to know get on a friendly basis with him. And so one day when I was talking to him, uh, you know, I asked him different things about, you know, his job and stuff like that. And so just be friendly to people. And one day when I was talking to him, he says to me, Jesus is not God. It came out of nowhere. (laughs) Right? And I was so happy because this is an opportunity that I've been praying for for weeks. He says, Jesus is not God. And I had just got into the conversation. Turns out he's a Muslim. Okay? They believe Jesus is a good man. He's a good teacher. He's a prophet. But he certainly is not God. 
So I got into the whole deal with him, told him the whole gospel. And he gets so frustrated with me. He finally says, you Christians. <laughs> he says, somebody has taught you well. <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> and so that's the only opportunity I had. Okay? It was an opportunity. It didn't go you know, real far to completion. But he's heard the message at least twice now. Once from me, once from somebody else. And I'm really happy about that. That Jesus is God. And that he, he needs, by God's grace, he needs to realize that, that the glory of Christ, that he is the image of God. And so there are spiritual limitations. I'm not going to persuade him. I'm not going to argue with him. I'm not going to be able to argue with him so convincingly that he's going to say, oh yeah, Jesus is God. It's only that only God himself can do the changing, the converting. And so it's not going to be my niceness that's going to win him to Christ. My niceness just got an opportunity to talk with him, that's all. It's not going to be my intelligence. You know, I knew all the scriptures. It's not going to be, you know, my presentation either. You know, how I said it. You know, how I came across to him. As long as I present the truth plainly, that's all I have to do. And God uses that truth because it's the power of God for the salvation of those who will believe. And I trust in God's word. I rely upon God's mercy, and I present the message clearly and simply. And and I try to handle people's objections to the gospel where they find objection. For instance, in this case, Jesus is not God. And so I I do my part and let God do his part. And so it's not my style that's going to persuade him. It's not how articulate I am or eloquent. It's, it's, it's God himself. And so we can't get hung up on style either. You remember the uh, parable of the sower? Matthew 13, Jesus gives a story about four different soils. Three of the soils are unfruitful. Only the good soil is fruitful. Jesus tells us that when the seed is gathered, that's like the word of God. That people respond to the word of God according to the soil and not because of the seed. And not because of the person who scattered the seed. And not because of how he scattered the seed, that style. It's the rocky soil. It's the weedy soil. It's the hard soil that is unfruitful. But what did Jesus say? It's only the good soil that produces fruit. And that's the person that Jesus has prepared to receive the gospel and then become a true Christian. And so it's not the person... And the seed, okay, you think about it. You think about the parable of the soil. There's one guy sowing the seed, right? That doesn't change in all four types of soil. And there's one guy uh, tossing the seed. The seed seed doesn't change either. That's the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't change. The person doesn't change. And the, the presentation style is not the same either. He tosses the seed the same way. You know, he doesn't go... Okay, right-handed. Any difference? Nope. Let's try left-handed. Anything? Nope. Behind the back? Nope. Between the legs? Nope. Over the top? No. Oh, the no-look toss. (laughs) Okay, he doesn't do that. He doesn't make a difference. What makes the difference is the soil of the person's heart. It's not style. It's not how you toss the seed. It is that you did toss the seed, and God used it to save those whom he has called. So don't worry about uh, presentation. Don't worry about style or your own eloquence. Uh, you don't have to pre- depend upon celebrity Christians. 
Okay, your, your pastor does an excellent job. He's a, more like a celebrity. You don't have to just depend upon him. You can be the soul, sower. You can be the evangelist. You can reach many more people than your pastor can if you, if you, in your daily life. You come to church maybe two hours. You spend, you know, 100, some, 40 hours, whatever it is, outside of church. You have many opportunities with, with all sorts of people that you run into. And so we realize the uh, limitations, the spiritual limitations. And we're not discouraged about that. We just continue tossing the seed. You can, you can bumble your way through the gospel message. As long as you have the truth, you know, God's going to use that to save some. Okay, our last insight into becoming a faithful minister of the gospel is found in verses 5 and 6. Minimize self and maximize Christ. In order to be a faithful minister, you need to shrink yourself down and enlarge uh, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's look at verses 5 and 6. Uh, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so here again, Paul is under attack. People think not only that he distorts the message, uh, that he's also in it for himself. He says, for, and Paul responds to them, for, I, I don't preach myself. I'm, the ministry is not for me. I'm not here to become a celebrity and be popular with, popular with people, gain a following. But I preach Jesus Christ. He's the one that I herald. He's the one that I proclaim. He's the one I want people to follow. And so here he, he shrinks himself down. Uh, John the Baptist said that Jesus must become greater and I must become less. He must increase, I must decrease. And this is, the, this is the attitude of a faithful minister. It's a humble attitude that puts uh, uh, Jesus ahead of oneself. So the ministry is to be self-effacing rather than self-promoting. It is not for one's personal popularity or power or pride or self-esteem. It is, it is for God himself. And verse 6 tells us the reason. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so who does the saving? It's God. The same God who created the physical light in the physical universe by speaking it into existence is the same God who, who creates not only physically, but also spiritually. And so we're just the spokesman. The real deal, the real show, is God himself. Because he's the one who causes a light to shine in people's hearts. So that they receive the knowledge of who God really is and found in the face of Jesus Christ himself. So God is the one who allows people and enables people to think clearly about the message. God is the one who converts people and transforms them and gives them the ability to receive the message not only as true, but true for themselves. And this is the reason why we promote Christ rather than ourselves in ministry. So we promote him and we promote ourselves as humble servants, bond servants, for Jesus' sake. And so why for Jesus' sake? Because he's been merciful. Because we received his mercy and his grace. And so we do things because he's been kind to us and we deserve much worse. And so for Jesus' sake, we promote him and we serve other people. 
The ministry is about promoting God and not about self. And sometimes we can worry about ourselves if we're doing a bad job or something. Sometimes we just need to think about promoting God. Don't worry, maybe, uh, you know, I'm not a good Sunday school teacher, or I'm not a good evangelist. You know, the focus is on yourself then, you think about those things. But you've got to think about promoting God, and that's faithful ministry. It is God who's been merciful. It is God who's been gracious. It is God who has been undeservingly loving. It is God who empowers the message to save and to sanctify souls. And so to be a faithful minister, we minimize ourselves and maximize Christ. You can be a faithful minister of the gospel. Be persistent. Don't be discouraged. Stay positive. Be true. Keep the message pure. Keep the message clear. Be dependent. Be reliant upon God. Recognize that only God can open the eyes of the blind and then be humble. Promote Christ in all you do and serve others for Jesus' sake. Okay? Can we pray together? Should we just close in prayer? Okay. Yeah, our Heavenly Father, we, we come before you by faith and acknowledge your presence. And uh, we just think about you a little bit, Lord, and how you have privileged us to uh, be known by you and be saved by you. And we thank you, Lord, that, that we live in blessing, and that we live in uh, unending blessing, Father. And so we just give you thanks for your mercy. We pray also, Lord, to uh, pass your mercy on to other people. We thank you for the privilege of of being a minister and being a servant of the gospel. And as we give ourselves to you, Lord, we we fully expect, God, that um, you will be pleased and and that you will uh, use whatever we can offer, Lord, for your glory. So we give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen.